We are in the last week of a four-part sermon series uh, about um, idolatry. Uh, and we've been kind of tiptoeing through, oh, maybe not tiptoeing. Um, we <laughs> like, oh, like, uh, so, but honestly, like, it has been an encouraging thing for me. Challenging, but the kind of challenging that's encouraging. Have you been challenged by this sermon series? Like, honestly, I feel like our, our, we, we, our toes have been uh, sufficiently smashed, uh, Jesus' name. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, today is no different. Uh, but it is the last of this sermon series. I mean, it, um, the title is called My Rock. Yeah. I was, I was trying to play it off to make sure you remembered. You know, Rock. See, you're the leader. You're the leader. Okay. All right. So uh, we'll be in Psalm chapter 62, verses 1 through 8. Um, but for my rock... I want to actually start off with um, an American poet. Uh, and a part of why I'm starting off with this American poet is because this is American Idol, right? So that's the title of the sermon series, American Idol. So I want us to look at some of the lines of this poem. You uh, go to this line. How do I, one night without I had to live without you. What kind of life would that be? I need you in my arms, need you to hold. You're my world, my, my soul. Believe. Well, baby, you're everything good in my life. And tell me now, how do I live without you? I want to know, how do I breathe without you? If you ever go, how do I ever, ever survive? How do I, oh, how do I? Oh, how do I leave? <laughs> okay. Okay, have you actually, like, read the lyrics of that? That song is crazy. Okay, so, I mean, Leanne Rhymes wrote it in the 90s. She was 14 when she sang it, which is an interesting dynamic in and of itself, but there's a line, throughout all of the song, there's these really interesting things, but this, like the second part of that verse, I need you in my arms, I need you to hold, you're my world, my heart, my soul. There's another American poet. I promise I'm not going to sing this one. <laughs> Another American poet. If you go to this, uh, she's the rock. 
that I lean on. She's the sunshine of my day, and I don't care what you say about her. Lord, she took me in and made me everything I am today. She's my rock, and I ain't going to throw her away. So this is a song that was written, well, released in 1984 by George Jones, country song. Uh, The context of the song is basically there are people telling George that his girlfriend or his significant other is on some, she has a history of shady business. And basically his response is, listen. Yeah, she's my rock. It don't really matter what you say. I'm not throwing her away. One last American poet. Baby, I love you. You were my life. My happiest moments weren't complete if you weren't by my side. You're my relation connection to the sun. With you next to me, there's no darkness I can't overcome. You are my raindrops. I am the seed with you and God, who's the sunlight I bloom and grow so beautifully. Baby, I'm so proud, proud to be your girl. You make the confusion go all away from this cold and mixed up world. I'm in love with you. You set me free. I can't do this thing called life without you here with me Cause I'm dangerously in love with you I'll never leave Just keep loving me the way I love you loving me By Beyonce It was in 2003 Can you hear what I'm not talking to Christmas songs, right? In our popular understanding of relationships, we cross some crazy lines. These songs are all romantic relationships. They're like, these are all love songs. But, and we sing them and we don't always think about the lyrics, but literally there's a 14-year-old girl declaring that some boy is her soul. There is a man declaring that a woman is his rock. And even though Beyonce gives God an honorable mention, <laughs> listen, like she says, You are my raindrops, I am the seed, with you and God, who's the. As though God needs help to grow you. <laughs> Right? This American idol thing that we've been talking about, I know some of us, I'm like, in your particular garden. Our relationships in life, both romantic, parental, and otherwise, can oftentimes cross a line into idolatry for us. And as a matter of fact, I'm, cons- I'm pretty convinced by the end of this week <laughs> um, that our view of romance in America is completely idolatry. We, like, flutter when people have speeches 
that say, I can't live without you. I would be lost without you. Like, this is how we talk to one another about our romantic relationships. I'm nothing without you. Really? You're nothing without another human being? Well, what were you before they got there? <laughs> and here's the problem. We, uh, we encourage this in every aspect of our culture, in our songs, in our books, in our stories. And we actually considered it to be unromantic when a person is unwilling to declare somebody to be their rock. Like they're not fully devoted unless they too can't live without the other person. They're not fully committed to the relationship unless they too are worshiping the other person. And it's messy. But I honestly believe that we've confused in our culture worship and love as it relates to relationships. And we're going to talk through that today. We'll get to Psalms in a second, but I actually want you to kind of look at this little word diagram thingy. (laughs) And just so that we're all on the same page before we keep moving. We are called to, but also equipped for loving each other. And and that's a good thing. But I think one of the messy and challenging things about what love is, is that, and I think it's actually a part of the trick of the enemy for us to not fully understand what love is. So that we can say things like, I love you, and expect the other person to, to love us as well. But that love is so ambiguous. From a biblical standpoint, regardless of what kind of relationship it is, love, the foundations of love means to seek the good of another person or seek the good of another with no strings attached. That's love. I can love you, and it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you've done, and I can still love you. There's no strings attached to that. I want your good. So even if I'm not the person that can provide good for you, I still want to seek your good. So if I don't have have what you need, there's something inside of me that wants to make sure that you still receive it, right? Yeah, that's not how we think about love, not for real, right? When we think about love, we talk about like pure and utter devotion even to my demise, We say, like, I love you like Jesus, which means that I'm willing to die for everything that would make you feel good in our popular understanding of love. And we kind of throw out the word love as it becomes a catch-all for some of these other words, admiration, which, honestly, person to person, I can admire you. And most of us in this room have admirable qualities. I'm sure that if I sat down with you for five and a half minutes, I can find something to admire about you. But we oftentimes don't consider admiration a point in which it's appropriate for humans, and that's the line. We oftentimes cross over to adoration. Children with our spouses, 
Adoration is kind of like that next level, level admiration. It's more than just to admire. It is to see, it is, it is a depth of admiration that honestly is only given to God. We would never actually say as believers, I worship you, spouse. But I've actually been to wedding receptions where people do say that to each other. But I think a part of why we might not say it is because we confuse loyalty and worship. We believe that an unwavering loyalty regardless of what they do and or say, or regardless of how they are with me, regardless of anything, is appropriate in my relationships with human beings. And it's not. It's just not. What, Chase? Even family? Yes. (laughs) Yes. That unwavering loyalty really crosses over into worship. And here's what I mean by that. Both of them require a selflessness on my part. If I'm loyal to you, there's a reality that there's some things that you may feel and some things that I don't exactly agree with, but they're not exactly wrong. They're just opposite of my opinion. And because of the relationship that I have with you, I still maintain the closeness and intimacy with you because as two peer human beings, I can be loyal to you and disagree completely appropriate. You steal from me to pay for your drug addiction. You verbally abuse me and, and separate, you, separate me from the relationships that are near so that you can have me all to yourself. That's worship. That's when a line has been crossed. Because At that point, it's no longer really about being able to see health and goodness. At that point, really, it's just you're someone who I'm fully surrendering to, regardless of my own well-being. That's only reserved for God because God will always have our well-being in mind. So I can fully surrender regardless of what I feel and regardless of the tension and the discomfort that comes along with it. I can fully surrender because I know that God has my best interest at heart. But that's actually not true of human beings. Sometimes they just want to get a fix. Sometimes they only have their best, in, their best interest at heart, and it's because they don't have the capacity. We do not have the capacity for navigating the depths of surrender like worship. But it's kind of what we ask of each other. Etta James has a song called, I Worship the Ground You Walk On. And I really like Etta. (laughs) We oftentimes miss the line between respect and reverence, especially with authority figures especially with pastors. And I already talked about this a few times, and I will continue to point to it. We oftentimes miss the line as it relates to respect and reverence. If you ask me, 
about what title I prefer. It's pastor because it involves a role in the, in the body of Christ. But on paper, I'm a reverend, but I don't like the title because as human beings, we oftentimes cross the line. And I can't have the half an hour long conversation with everybody <laughs> about why I don't want to be revered by them. I don't. I don't want to be revered by you. That's something I want you to have only for God. Yeah, I want to be respected. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to be acknowledged for the, for the way in which I am influential in this community and the way in which I have invested in myself for ministry and allowed the Holy Spirit to shape and change me so that I can lead. But at some point, at some point, if you have anxiety about not being here one Sunday, and you feel like I'm going to be mad, so like you like feel like, like uh, I, was, I was here and I was there. Like you got like this hour-long explanation about why you were absent one Sunday. I'm telling you, you crossed the line. I want to know where you are because I love you and I make sure you're okay. But like, listen, if you don't like, you don't need an excused absence. <laughs> if you feel like you want to tell me because of the relationship that we have, I'm all about that. If you feel like you have to hide parts of yourself from me because I will be frustrated or upset. If you feel like you can't be fully human around me because for whatever reason, my representation of God makes you feel like you can't be a real human being around a human being, trust me, you've crossed the line. I don't want to have that kind of influence in anybody's life because I don't want to carry the weight of your worship. I do not want that. Trust me, I will put it down quick. You've been in the office with me, and I, like, and I feel like yeah, this might be crossing the line. Like, I get awkward very quickly. <laughs> it's not because I don't love you. Just making it real clear, I'm not interested in being across that line. Respect, I'm all about. But we respect one another as sisters and brothers in Christ. We revere none of us as sisters and brothers in Christ. That energy is only for God. But we bring that into our relationships because we have songs like, I'm nothing without you. I need you. Baby, I need you. We teach each other that if, you, if I make someone uncomfortable, then I am in the wrong. Affirmation absolutely for humans. Praise for God. Affirmation is all like, listen, you did a good job. When you graduate from high school, any high schoolers in the room? I want to affirm you. I want to celebrate you when you graduate. You get a promotion in your job? I want to affirm you too, Kara. But there is a point in which we cross a line. Ben and I have had this conversation about preaching. Um, and at some point, it's good to know that the church family affirms, like, that sermon was good. It challenged and helped me see God more clearly. Absolutely. All day. Please tell that to any of us preaching here. But at some point, sometimes it can just go on and on and 
on and on. And you think you're doing good, but at some point it's crossed over. And you're, at that point, it's my job as your pastor to let's direct that energy to Jesus. Isn't it? And I'll say, and so let me tell you, I'm going to give you a hint now. If you're ever in that seat and you're going on and on, I'm going to tell you now, my, my uh, consistent pattern response is, isn't the Holy Spirit amazing? <laughs> isn't God good? Oh, praise God. Let me tell you what God did with me in that. Listen, I'm going to just start, I'm going to keep us to God, not because of anything other than we are all steeped in a culture that, call, that encourages us to worship each other. We are steeped in a culture that encourages us to worship our spouses and our children. We are steeped in a culture that encourages us to cross the line every single time. And when we do, we make somebody else our rock. I knew it. I knew, I knew it was going to be you. Yeah. It was Josh? Rock? I want to go to Psalms. This is uh, another poet, David. (laughs) He says, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against me, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock <laughs> where none Teach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. That language about God being our rock. Oh. That language about God being our rock. There it is. It's actually littered all throughout both the Old and the New Testament. It's everywhere in Scripture. Here's what's not in Scripture. Scripture does not talk about boundaries in relationships as explicitly as we would like. That's okay for us to know. Scripture doesn't say, don't make your spouse your God. It doesn't. There's nowhere in the Bible where it's going to say, make sure that you don't make your children your God. Don't make an idol of your parents. It's not going to say that. It's not going to say don't make an idol of your coworkers or your supervisors or your presidents or your kings or your queens or your anything. It's going to just keep saying God is my rock. God is my refuge. It doesn't go through the intimate details of how we accidentally trip over but it will continue to say, God is my rock. To paint a picture for us that we should only have one rock. And here's why. 
Human beings are not strong enough to be rocks. We're not. We are not strong enough to hold the weight of what it is to navigate life changes. And quite honestly, when you're going through the darkest and deepest moments of your life, if I'm the one you're depending on, it's going to get real dark. <laughs> real quick. I don't have enough energy for that. But there is a rock that does have enough energy for that. And some of us are like, oh, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing mine in terms of like this rock and this idol. Like I get depending on God and I don't want to depend upon humans. It's really about identity. It's really about identity. Oftentimes, a part of what happens when our rock goes we lose ourselves. Have you ever been at a funeral and somebody said, she was my rock? Have you ever been, like, honestly, like, give yourself a moment. You might have actually been the person that said that and that opened my. And you take four and a half. And you start off by, great granny such and such was my rock. We don't know how we're going to live without her. I know that sounds romantic. I know it sounds like we really love great granny such and such. But if we don't know how we can live without a human being, when it is common knowledge that human beings die, then we all are in for a really crazy ride. <laughs> if we don't know who we are separate from another human being, then we're in for a rocky life. If we don't know who we are separate from other humans, we've crossed the line. There is only one being that I allow my identity to be so rooted in That if they believe, then I would be rocked. And that's God. If I can't see my identity without them, I've crossed the line. That needs to be the one which, like, that needs to, has to be the check in our soul. Codependency is, a, is a basically American way of life at this point. Right? As oftentimes we... we because of the word dependent in there, we oftentimes miss the nuances of the difference between dependence and codependence. One of my, it's not the only definition, but one of my favorite ways of thinking about codependence, Lisa actually brought um, into to my attention. It's when I feel like I'm responsible for the other person's emotions. Not that I'm, I, I get that we have influence, but if I'm tiptoeing around so that they don't have an emotional response, I've crossed the line. <laughs> if I'm like, uh, I can't do or say this because then they'll blow up or they'll go into a depression or they'll do this, 
a line has been crossed. Yeah, I know that it gets a little messy because we have influence, right? I'm not going to come up to you and, like, start cussing you out. Of course that will make you angry, right? (laughs) But there is a point in which we also avoid healthy things because we don't want to cause a response in someone else. And that is kind of a way of thinking about codependence. And we kind of just teach each other that's normal. We, actually, we not only encourage, but would even get upset if someone doesn't live that way around us. Like, you, don't, you don't care enough about me that you won't lie to me to make me feel good? I know we wouldn't say that out loud, but that's basically what we're saying. You don't love me enough to keep the truth from me? Listen, if you ain't got nothing nice to say to me, don't talk. Well, wait, what if I'm your spouse and I need to tell you that I need some things to change for me to be happy in our relationship as well? (laughs) Ah, what if I'm your child and you keep doing this thing that causes me to not want to be around you? And I want to honor you, mama. I want to honor you, daddy. But you keep saying this stuff and I just feel like I don't want to. Every time you call, I press the red button instead. Because I'd rather press the red button than have that uncomfortable conversation, primarily because you're in a codependent relationship too, and it's weird, and we've crossed the line. I'm not saying every codependent relationship is idolatry, but I am saying that we need to ask ourselves, if I can't see myself separate from that If I can't find my identity separate from that relationship, if I can't find myself at all, then perhaps what if you've been married for like 40, 50, 60 years? It's going to be real difficult to see themselves without that. Yeah, I get it. That's true. But, but, Our identity, yes, influenced, impacted, and integrated with our spouses if we're married, but not rooted in our spouses. That's different. Because when they pass, one of you is going to pass if you live your whole life together. One of you, unless you go together, which some of you are actively praying for. I don't know what I'm going to do without them, so take us both at the same time, Lord. (laughs) When they pass, if our identity isn't rooted in Christ, our demise will be very quick. When the truth is, we can still have fullness of life even after they've gone on to glory. If our identity is rooted in Christ. Scripture doesn't give all the intimate details of how we can cross the line, but continues to hit the same drum over and over and over and over and over again. God is our rock. God is our refuge. I build my life upon this rock. (laughs) Somebody got it. And as I build my life on this rock, 
when life happens, I'm not as shaken. I'm impacted. But I don't lose myself. That's the point. That's why even from the beginning, we're created in God. It's a bit of our identity that is connected to God that way. But I oftentimes find myself also kind of trying to be in the image of the person I'm with too. So I'm like in God's image and their image too. <laughs> so when they go, my identity is shaken. I know it's messy. And I know this is probably one of the most challenging idolatry conversations that we'll have because there is a lot of gray here. That's why that reminder is quick and to the point. If I can't find my identity without them, I may have crossed a line. So there's this picture. Especially in the New Testament, we talk about Christ being a cornerstone. And that cornerstone is designed to bear the weight of the building as it shifts and as it settles. I'm telling you now, most of us have more than one cornerstone in our life. And that's why it feels like our foundation is shaken when that other cornerstone is upset with us. That's why it feels like our whole life is about to end when we consider upsetting that other cornerstone. And I'm saying that there's really only one, there's only room for one cornerstone in a building. Or, this, or the building is doomed to fall apart. And I want us to think so seriously about that that we don't just think about it as spiritual immaturity or relational unhealth. As believers, there's enough room for us to call that idolatry. There is. Because that's the seat that only God should have in my life. So the lyrics of this song, Cornerstone, um, were you able to get those up, Adam? Were you, did you find those? It's okay. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong, in the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Like that has to be, like that has to be, the, 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 has to be our love song as believers. Yeah, write a poem to your, your spouse, your girlfriend, your significant other, your boyfriend. Your, like do that. Write a poem. But just keep that, you're my rock, I worship the ground, you walk on, stuff out of there. If you need inspiration and you're of age, read Song of Solomon. <laughs> Ask your parents first. <laughs> it's in the Bible. <laughs> but when you read it, it's incredibly romantic. It gets graphic at some times, but you'll never see in there 
They're my, this person is my salvation. They're my rock. I can't live without them. Nope. You'll never see that in there because it's not a part of how we as followers of God relate to each other. We have one rock. And that's God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Which means a number of things. We worship, praise, reverence, adore. We extol you, King of Kings. And we make unique and specific your role in our life. Our identity is rooted in you, period. That's what it means for us to have a life fully surrendered to you as our Lord. You get to shape my identity. You get to be the one who makes me whole. I get to say with full conviction and confidence, I'm nothing without you, God. Because you're the only one who has promised and can make good on the promise of never leaving or forsaking me. You're the only one who can make good on the promise of being selfless completely. It doesn't mean that people don't have the capacity of loving. They just, we're imperfect. We're fall, faulty. We're frail. We don't always have it together. So where I have placed an unhealthy loyalty and or allegiance to other human beings, God, convict me and bring me back on the other side of the line so that I can love fully but also worship only you. You get to be God. And let them be family and friends, loved ones, mentors, leaders, children. You be God and we'll be humans. Our identity will be wrapped in you and our character shaped by each other's selflessness as we engage with one another. But you get to have our identities, God. Lord, we thank you that you have really brought us through this journey of looking at our idols. We want to do more than just look at them, Holy Spirit. Give us grace to also push them down. Give us wisdom and courage to denounce them. Give us courage to imagine a life separate from these idols, fully devoted to you. And give us wisdom to know how to live in a world where, honestly, these idols are appropriate for those who worship those gods. That's just not who we are. Give us grace to navigate that in a way that brings you glory and continues to point people to you. We love you. We honor you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.